Hello and welcome to Kane and Rin's Sound of Play 288.
Sensei and Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. And joining me, Ryan Heyman, in Sound of Play 288 is our friend from the Kane Rinse Stable, Carl Moon. Hi, Ryan. Hi, everyone. Hey, it's it's been a little while since you've been on Sound of Play, if I remember correctly. <laughs> it I'm really a bit behind has. I'm listening myself. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, comfortably over a year. Since I've been on. All right. Well, you've uh, you've been reloaded with a new batch of video game music favorites, and so I'm uh, yeah interested to just kind of dive right in and see what we're bringing today. Um, this first track on the way in, I was expecting something different when I read about it on the on the um, the Google Doc that we use as our show notes here. Uh, you had listed the RoboCop theme, and I was expecting the Jonathan Dunn piece from. Uh, well, not only the the uh, Game Boy game and then the kind of Amiga and C64 versions that came before that, but um, also, as has been heard before on Sound of, Sounds of Play uh, 3859, 138, <laughs> and 203, but uh, I was surprised to hear a different piece of music and one that I was not familiar with. So, mm. um, yeah, I'm curious if you can kind of give us whatever kind of background you can on this different piece of music and your history with it. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a little bit different because it sounds phenomenal for the platform that it's supposedly from. Now, I've got no history of actually playing the game on the Game Boy. Uh, my history with Robocop was the Amiga, and you know, as I'm sure so many of you are aware, not all those games were kind of the same title. Uh, you know, it would go to different developers and different um, publishers and, and such. And I know Ocean were were the big one, but they actually self developed the, the the Game Boy version. But this this arrangement is not the Game Boy original that's that's tied to that title. It's actually a play on the original by um, Basil Pulduris. Um, and from the information that I could actually find, it was arranged by Christoph uh, Vazinkovich, who's obviously done some work with Witcher titles and and so forth. And the reason that this and all the tracks that I've selected today have some personal connection with me, and that was kind of the theme that I've gone for, it's that it's it's especially tied to familiarity with the GDQ series of AGDQ and SGDQ. And of course, we've just, at this time of recording, finished AGDQ last month um, as we entered January. Um, and the reason that this is important is that, you know, I've had some times in my life where I've struggled with mental health and, and periods of depression that have been particularly hard and difficult for me. And and this feels incredibly relevant, maybe more so than ever now, um, given the, the the history of, you know, 2019 through to where we are now with the state of the world. And one of the key things that, that took my mind away from being a place that I was, was SGDQ one year seeing this involvement and action in, you know, the speedrunning community for anyone who doesn't know what it is. It's, you know, awesome games done quick or summer games done quick where we get a range of titles, you know, retro new, all sorts from doing clean runs to glitching through walls, etc. And seeing a community of gamers and people dedicated to doing speedruns put stuff on for charity to raise money for, you know, uh, Doctors Without Borders or prevent cancer and all these other things was really heartwarming at a time when I needed to see that kind of thing. And between runs, we always get a series of music. And this is one that's been played 
over and over and over again at so many GDQ events and ironically not in the 2021 one which is maybe why it stood out more than ever for me um, because I was kind of waiting for it but we got different elements of remixes this year and my connection with it is to both that time and seeing something that was so wonderfully triumphant seeing money being raised so it was the reason why I wanted to kick off the show and you know I historically how like a, a retro piece um, of music in there anyway even if it's a rearrangement so that that's kind of my connection to it whether the origins are direct from a cart or whatnot you know I, that's not something that I'm entirely sure of I couldn't state with any certainty but this is definitely the version um, or arrangement of the track from GDQ events from what I understand the Game Boy and Game Boy Color sound chips are very easy to emulate and to really kind of boost the sound of. And so, you know, whereas, you know, tracks from the Super Nintendo and the Genesis um, and other, you know, some of the older systems take a lot of pride in kind of reproducing the like very specific sound that those uh, consoles have. Um, A lot of Game Boy music, when you see it kind of re-released for compilation albums or even just kind of put onto YouTube, um, tend to be a little bit more polished up. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but embellished maybe, um, you'll hear reverb applied to it. And, um, maybe it's because the Game Boy's sound is a little bit more kind of aggressive and tinny than other ones. And so maybe it needs a little bit more kind of fuzzing over to make it sound more kind of palatable and listening, uh, for listening to on a, uh, just a pure kind of pleasure basis. But, um, uh, it could be ease of emulation. It could just be kind of stylistic choice. But um, I think this this does come through really crisply and um, and and sounds quite nice for a uh, piece of Game Boy Color music. Uh, so, anyways, this would be the theme song from the Game Boy Color version of RoboCop, which came out uh, years after the kind of original uh, Ocean RoboCop game did, uh, which that was around the. Uh, 1987 through 1990 i believe yeah um this version would have come out in 2001 and um i like that they kind of maintain a uh, kind of similar musical through line with those games that came out uh, a decade and a half earlier uh yeah neat to see them kind of throwing back to the past like that and um i mean we we just had robocop assume a new role in mortal Kombat, and so presumably RoboCop's going to be a permanent fixture of video games for a while still, I'd expect. Yeah, fingers crossed we get a throwback to the original style of movies as well. That's right. I think RoboCop's overdue for a more faithful reimagining. Yes. Anyways, uh, let's go on to another piece of music. This is a piece that I'm bringing in from Sam and Max Save the World, which just had a really nice, really nice, I don't know if I want to call it a remaster. It it is a remaster on the original code, but it seems like they've also injected a fair amount of work into this new version as well. They've, um, they have a new kind of graphical rendering engine. Anyways, for context, this is the first of the Telltale Salmon Max series, which was uh, retroactively called Salmon Max Save the World. Before it was just Salmon Max Episode 1, Episode 2 with their uh, episode subtitles. But anyways, this is a piece of music called Bosco's, which is the uh, convenience store that's located next to Sam and Max's um, office building. Uh, he, he is a kind of belligerent conspiracy theorist, uh, but a really, um, really fun and, and uh, 
and wacky character that kind of reappears throughout the series. This uh, this piece of music in particular is a a really kind of dense and heavy uh, jazz arrangement that um, gets really chaotic. It, hmm. It's it remains pleasant and it has kind of the orchestration of a of a piece of elevator music almost, but it's like it's so many pieces of elevator elevator music playing on top of each other that the chaos becomes kind of unavoidable, which I feel like does a pretty good job of representing a convenience store clerk who is so kind of entrenched in apocalyptic conspiracy theories. It's a good representation of the character. It fits the general kind of vibe of Sam and Max surprisingly well. <laughs> um, I've, uh, I've, I've not gotten back to the, uh, to the remastered version of Save the World. I did pick it up, and I, I do intend to play it through again because... It's a uh, very funny series of games, and uh, I'm I'm excited to re-experience it. Uh, Carl, have you uh, have you played any of the Salmon Max games, either when they were with LucasArts or with Telltale? Yes, yeah, so the LucasArts originals are the ones that you know I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. Back back, you know, uh, Monkey Island, Day of the Tentacle, Salmon Max. Um, you know, we had some classic point-and-click adventure games. Um, I'm not so familiar with the Telltale reinventions, but I am actually quite familiar with a lot of the music from it. So I do listen to a lot of music from games I haven't played yet. Mm -hmm. This is one. It was, you know, it did make me smile when I saw this track on the sheet. It's not surprising. I'm pretty sure that every time I've made a recording with you, there's been at least some jazz influence in a track. So I Mm. guess this is the one for this episode. And it is, you know, (laughs) it's a lovely, it, it is a lovely jazz track. As from someone who is not what you would call a big fan of Muzak style jazz, um, mm-hmm. I did actually quite enjoy this 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 track. Yeah, it's a it, it's an odd one, um, but that's that's Sam and Max for you. I wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, so, anyways, this is Bosco's by Jared Emerson Johnson from Sam and Max Save the World.
particular that was taken from the remaster soundtrack. And uh, I know that they redid some of the music, but not all of the music. And so I haven't done a kind of side-by-side listening. So I can't tell whether this is a newly recorded piece for the 2020 remaster of uh, Sam and Max Save the World, or whether it's just kind of a less compressed version of the original piece of music. But either way, the composition should be more or less the same. Um, Let's go on to another piece of music. This is a remix of a piece from Turrican. Would you mind introducing this one to us? Yeah, so this is far more uh, traditional in my wheelhouse growing up. Turrican is an absolute classic title for anyone who was a heavy player on Amiga, which the United Kingdom pretty much growing up, where you know the NES wasn't a, a... a huge deal as I know that it was in, in North America. Um, and, you know, this was our Metroid. This, you know, this was the, the platform in the run and gun take on Contra, Metroid, all these these things. And, and Turrican did evolve as a series, but it was always a game that was visually very impressive. The animation was so slick and smooth and it was one of the first times I ever remember playing a game on the Amiga and it feeling like it was a really arcade tight like game that that level of responsiveness you know the instant gratification of of pressing the button and getting the response on the screen which wasn't always common on the Amiga um but you know most of all it it's the music throughout the title that that is so memorable and a large part of that is because of the composer Chris Hulsbeck who is for me he is the the legacy composer that that just worked wonders with the hardware created some of the greatest amiga sounds that that there are to listen to things like great guiana sisters which i believe i picked way back on sound of play 5 um all mm-hmm. that time ago and is you know one of my most favorite pieces of gaming music of all time but turrican and turrican 2 um are right up there and of course getting re-released you know, on Switch and, and PlayStation 4 uh, via limited run games for physical copies uh, this year. So that's very exciting. I've got my pre-order in there for the collector's edition. Um, this is obviously not the traditional pick, um, I should add. Um, this is the Dr. Victory remix. So this is, uh, the game was originally released in 1990. However, there was a a celebration of Chris Hulsbeck album released in 2018 with multiple tracks from um, many games that he worked on uh, being remixed by a variety of artists and this one by Dr. Victory that is just a, a stellar piece of music that leads in from a very traditional Amiga style music into something that's far more well it sounds retro but it's actually very relevant to the music scene right now for uh, you know you think of um, the weekend's track from 2020, which was a huge hit that was incredibly retro with its backing track. And, you know, we've got music artists like Billie Eilish, etc., using very retro style 80s influenced synth music. And this feels like it could be a great backing track now. But of course, it's the music that, it, that it's a play on is the very classic victory theme from um, Turrican released back in 1990. And, and for me, it was just a perfect blend of, of classic and modern coming together to really emphasize and respect at the same time the, the, the work by Chris Hulsbeck. Terrific. This is Victory by Chris Hulsbeck, the Dr. Victory remix.
Next, we have a request from the forum. This comes from Richard, who says, In Sonoplay 245, Leon and Tom were discussing racing games, anxiety, and nostalgia, and immediately this track from 1980X jumped into my mind. While I understand that there are pitfalls to looking back too far or rose-tinting the past, this short indie game transported me back to my early years where I cut my teeth in the local arcade. I can so vividly recall everything, the smell of cigarette smoke and greasy pizza from the joint next door, playing Outrun and Space Harrier in the dim neon room. As someone who has contended with a lifelong anxiety disorder, the arcade was my childhood escape from home, school, and the world outside, transporting me to a place of safety. Yes, this is a retro-inspired, but uh, not retro-in-itself game, 1980X. Uh, I, I really like all of these kind of outrun likes that we've gotten over the past few years it's been kind of a nice trend that's been picking up and uh yeah this one seems to uh also kind of hit the right note with the music as well carl are you um do you have any any of any favorites among these kind of modern outrun like games in terms of soundtracks i've not played a lot of them but they are absolutely on my radar to play it's you know when do you find the time for everything but this is a soundtrack that I am very, very familiar with, and with mm. you know very, very good reason. Um, this track is an absolute cracker that's being picked, and you know I saw it on the list when I was comp- you know compiling my picks, and I was kind of kicking myself that this wasn't actually one of mine because it is a, a, an incredible piece of music for anyone who's a fan of you know eighties movies, um, you know the things like commando etc have this kind of undertone of of music that that is in this track and it when it it starts off so subtly and then the guitar kicks in and it's kind of that goosebumps moment where you just feel all the hairs rise and it, you know it really this track does do something for me and it actually really makes me want to go and and, and kind of bump this this game right up in my in my list of games to play um in the in the coming months so um kudos to richard for for picking this because i think that this is something that i will be playing very very soon it's an interesting track because the instrument instrumental kind of track on it is uh pretty spot on to the 80s feel that they're trying to invoke yeah but it also has some kind of very light narration over it which is uh and it feels very, um, very cinematic, very filmic as well. I like it. I don't know if that's just for the soundtrack album or whether it's um, something that uh, also plays in game, but it's a really cool touch. It is, yeah. arcade almost every night standing there beside the other players watching every move their fingers made this was the real thing another life was just one credit away down here I found new worlds and new meaning 
I could be whoever I wanted to be. Travel to outer space, experience fantasy and fear, or just take a walk on the wild side of town. Nothing could beat the rush of the highway. The speeding cars reminding me that there was a way out. A road to somewhere. The city on the horizon. I'd drive all night to get to that place. visit I made, every game I uncovered, every move I mastered, I felt stronger, more confident. Some guys said I was nothing but a dreamer, completely out of touch with reality. But I don't know. Down here, I was free. I was in control. No one told me where to go or what to do. The only bad part about it was having to come back up to the real world. All right, next, let's get to a 2020 game. Um, this, uh, I suppose this piece of music felt kind of inevitable, huh? I don't know if we've, <laughs> I don't think we featured it though. So uh, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, so this is Future Days. Um, Probably not known by that as many people who weren't familiar with with the original song um, or even the band Pearl Jam now. It's a song that it plays a huge part to the backbone of The Last of Us Part 2. Um, something that, you know, is continued throughout that stream. And it's The Last of Us Part 2 obviously divided quite a lot of opinion um, among so many gamers and media alike. I personally stand on the side that I think it is one of the most important video game titles in, in the last decade. Um, it absolutely blew me away for a number of reasons outside of just the, the feel or gameplay of a game. Um, and a large part of that was to do with, again, like the first title, a, an incredible score throughout very carefully chosen moments. Obviously, the characters, the, the narration, and it all culminates that a song like this is given so much more because of everything that surrounds it from that title. Um, it's it's a, it's a phenomenal track by Pearl Jam anyway, but it kind of 
feels like it belongs and lives in this game now for me. Um, and it's just, you know, regardless of where you sit on The Last of Us Part 2, um, I, th- I think this song is definitely something that, that sits positively with even those that weren't um, fans of the game. And, you know, 2020 was a rough year, but for me, The Last of Us Part 2 as obviously gritty and disturbing and, you know, all these other ways that we could describe that title really did have such a positive impact last year for me. Um, it, it seems really weird to say um, now that I'm I'm thinking it aloud, but this was the standout title that I played last year, you know, very much for, for, for new titles. And uh, I it, it kind of put me off wanting to play any other games for three months after it. I went to bed after finishing it and I couldn't sleep. Um, I wanted to digest everything that everyone had written about it online in long form i wanted to have a conversation with my partner about why this game you know felt so important which you know at five o'clock in the morning she had absolutely no interest which i kind of understand in fairness mm-hmm. she wasn't very impressed when i woke her up and she doesn't follow games anyway so she didn't really understand but whenever i come back now six seven eight months on and i think back to the importance and the impact that this title had on me this track always comes with those memories um and i'm not a person that gets overly emotional at video games i never have been i think famously i've probably said that there's only two games have ever had an emotional impact on me uh one was brothers which you know had me quite upset and the other was viva pinata which gave me the most terrifying nightmares that you could ever imagine but um the, the last of us part two undoubtedly had an emotional impact and it's something that video games have found very difficult to get across to me personally and it it's not it it's not because I'm not an emotional person I mean a great advert on telly a movie TV show you know story I'll be in tears so video games it was always kind of that that frontier to to try and and see if it it could do that to me and and you know I think I went through the full gamut of emotions playing The Last of Us Part 2 and that, you know, for good or bad, however you think about the game, um, whether you were angered or frustrated by uh, directions, etc. in it, for me, the risks that that game took make that game so, so valuable to me personally. And, and as I say, all of that is underpinned by this track. This um, portion of the game, uh, they give you a lot of control over... Yeah. The uh, they they kind of kick you into the guitar mini game before they play the track, uh, which is it's it's interesting. It's um, they make you play a few chords kind of in sequence before they launch into the kind of pre-recorded video of Joel singing the song. Which I I mean I don't know from a storytelling perspective like what that necessarily adds to it, other than just kind of an impressive show of like the guitar tech <laughs> that they've built with the with the touchpad on the PS4 controller kind of replicating the strumming of a guitar, uh, which is, um, it, it's quite neat. I, I wish that they, I don't know, it, they, they do bring it back two or three more times throughout the game, but uh, I don't know if it's like, it, it feels like such an odd inclusion every time because it's always kind of built up as, you know, you're performing for somebody else. You pick up your guitar and Joel even has some lines beforehand. He's like, I just want to play you something that's really important to me. 
Uh, please don't laugh. And then he immediately goes into the because I'm just messing around with the control. And it's like it undercuts the drama of the situation. But I like that Naughty Dog both knew that every player was going to do that at least once. Yeah. And we're OK with that. And, um, you know, they weren't too they weren't too married to the tone that they were trying to do to not let us, you know, basically mess around with a no fail state can go for a can go on for as long as you want it to um you know guitar pluck around so uh yeah interesting way to frame this particular piece of music it will always be in my mind because of that situated in a comedy moment of the game instead of the dramatic moment that i think it was kind of setting up for i don't know if that undercuts the drama of the piece of music in my memory but um I am. I mean, I like it that way. I you don't get that in a lot of other games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's you know it has that tech, as you say, it has led to some very interesting moments of people playing other songs yeah. in game that you can you can view on on YouTube, etc. Which is all oh, there the more should impressive. be. Uh, there should be Easter eggs. Like he begins singing like when you trigger a certain chords from other songs. You know, things that would take people years to find because there's only like two or three programmed in there. But you know if people start playing Wonderwall or Freebird or something like that. Yeah. That would be a great, that'd be a great Easter egg, man. Anyways, maybe someday, someday when I'm doing a remake down, down the road, 20 years down the road. <laughs> um, anyways, this is Future Days by Troy Baker, with the original song composed by Pearl Jam for The Last of Us Part 2. This next piece of music comes from the forum. Again, this is from Mauricio M.M. who says, I just enjoy the whimsical composition of this particular track. Jazz and cartoony voices, what a mix. Also, it was separately requested by Mr. Ixalite from the forum who says, It doesn't help that I find this deep sea terrifying in general, but this track made my hair stand on end. I remember playing through the entire level as a ball of tension, holding my controller in a vice-like grip. Now that I know what terrors the darkness holds, it's not as creepy, but still plenty creepy nonetheless. Interesting take on this particular piece of (laughs) music, but um, it's such a nice kind of take on underwater music. You know, underwater music in video games always feels like such a dice 
dice roll. Not in the fact that like it's either, you know, really good or really bad. Like generally underwater music is standout pieces of music from whatever soundtrack it's in, whether it's Mario Bros or Donkey Kong Country. There's so many famous pieces of underwater music yeah. that um, people have such deep attachment to. But it's always stylistically, you, you never know what you're going to get. And I think it's because, you know, with with pieces of music that you associate with desert levels or pieces of music that you associate with jungle levels or whatever, like there are those analogs in real life. You know, people go to the desert, people go to the jungle, and there are certain cultures that spring up around deserts and cultures that spring up around the hilly plateaus of of Nepal or wherever. Like, you know, there are real life analogs that people can draw musical inspiration from that that feel correct for this space. And that might be why there is a certain amount of kind of homogenization between, you know, what you would expect to hear in a desert track, in a jungle track, you know? And so it's um, uh, when it comes to underwater music and deep sea music and ocean music, like there isn't that there aren't these cultures that spring up underwater. And so perhaps it is a little bit more kind of interpretive. And, you know, there's oftentimes you'll hear influences of island cultures music being brought in here which i think you can hear in this piece of music in particular um you can hear some of the ukuleles of uh kind of hawaiian and polynesian music but um yeah as far as like the experience of being underwater it feels very interpretive and it feels very um it feels like every artist can kind of put their own spin on it it's very interesting what uh, Christoph Haral and Billy Martin did for Raymond Origins in this piece, which is called Ocean World Glue Glue, Glau Glau, perhaps. It's, uh, they, they use the kind of pitched up chipmunk voices of the, um, that you can kind of hear dotted throughout the rest of the soundtrack to perform a kind of luau type piece. And it's, um, it's really, it's really pleasant but it's also very uh yeah. i don't know it feels very performative it doesn't it doesn't fade to the background like a lot of music is supposed to as kind of an underscoring of the music it feels uh underscoring of the level it feels more like you are on like a disney attraction and this is being played over speakers or i don't know it feels it, it draws attention to its artificiality in ways that um that not all soundtracks do and i think it's kind of stronger for it it's a it's an interesting piece of music yeah i think you know you've done a wonderful description there and i think if i was to add to it how i would describe the track is it feels like controlled chaos a lot of the rayman origins and and you know legends tracks do feel that way they're all very full-on and i think you know the disney ride definitely holds on it's that kind of instant gratification in your face noise and madness that you know is is just has that element of refinement to it as well it's it's not traditional underwater but at the same time it's still noticeably underwater it's it is very clever and you know they did an incredible job with a lot of a lot of the rayman origins soundtrack as well um this isn't the one that i would have classed as a standout at all from those games but you know at the same time i can appreciate why it would be uh it's a while since i've actually heard this one and it did make me smile, particularly with the descriptions that we got. You know, could not be more polar opposite. I think, in terms of how that that track's described. But 
yeah, one, you know, cartoony voices, comes, uh, uh, what is it, comical and whimsical. And then the other one is uh, vice-like grip and terrifying from uh, <laughs> being underwater. Uh, yeah, I think that's kind of the chaos that, that Rayman can bring. Yeah, it has the kind of feel of like a 1960s TV jingle in a way. It has that kind of pleasant, um, very kind of cheery, you know, the, the kind of 1960s vision of the future of this kind of idealized uh, but it's just like it would play as a very traditional track. It's just that the voices that are singing to you are so cartoonish and kind of wrong for the piece. Uh, but um, in a way that I I still think kind of loops around and, and ends up suiting it pretty well. So uh, let's uh, we'll let you make up your own minds about this. This is a very fun piece of music from a terrific game. This is Ocean World. Glue Glue by Christoph Harrell and Billy Martin from Rayman Origins.
is Rayman Origins, or Rayman Oranges, as we say on Canon Rinse quite frequently. Uh, why don't you take us through another, um, let's say, uh, nautically inspired piece of music, perhaps? This was probably the score that resonated with me most of all the games that I played last year. It's a game that we'd already covered on Cane and Rinse as well in Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice, but it was one that I'd held off until I was in the right moment to want to play it in the manner that it was intended to be played. You know, headphones on, darkened room, that feeling of isolation. And whilst this isn't the true end of the game, so to say, it's certainly towards the 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 end of the title and the way that it's composed seems to tell that story listening back to it it's kind of the the, the culmination of the journey that that Senua has been on so far in an incredibly powerful and you know moving reason for performing the actions that she's performing in that title and you know I, I'm I'm trying to be very careful not to speak too much to people who maybe haven't played the title or would have an interest in playing it because it's it's wonderfully emotive for a number of reasons and not least because it tackles mental health in a way that very few games have even come close to being able to match in terms of accuracy and seriousness and a reality that underpins everything that's told um, in a respectful manner. You know, I've, I've, I'm an advocate for mental health personally and professionally. Um, I've known a lot of people who've suffered mental health, including myself. And having Ninja Theory treat this title with that level of respect was incredible to it to to experience and see that that throughout. And um, the the story, the arc that it all takes. This for me is where. The game truly peaks from a sense of of Senua being overwhelmed by everything: the demands, the reasons, the enemies, the you know the voices, the the inner doubt, the sort of the visual showcase. The it's it's full on with everything that that it can throw at you, and it it had an impact on me as the player in a way that I probably wasn't expecting playing through this title. It's one of the few moments in gaming history where I've finished a part and I've had to put the controller down and just take a breath and think, decompress, I think. The game was all the better for it. And this music just... I mean, the whole score by David Garcia Diaz is tremendous, but this track is just so emotive in a way that even tracks that that have had an emotional impact on me in the past... Very few reach because of everything else that comes with it in this game. Um, I mean, it is an emotional gut punch in so many ways. Um, and, and having experienced, as I say, that level of mental health with, you know, people close to me, I, I'm never going to do justice to the work that's that's been done by Ninja Theory. But, you know, this track, not only is it just a beautiful piece of music, but having played the game, it means all the more. This is Sea of Corpses by David Garcia Diaz from Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice.
was Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. Very cool game from what I've played. I've, uh, I've gotten about a quarter of the way through it and have not progressed farther, unfortunately, because of um, my own indecisiveness. Uh, I own both the VR and the regular versions, and they both bring something different to the table. You know, the VR is cool because you get to feel more kind of immersed in that world, but you kind of trade off some of the graphical fidelity. And I know yeah. that the flat screen version of the game does kind of put that graphical fidelity front and center. It's a really, really it's nice looking beautiful. game. Uh, but uh, the the save file is not cost compatible between the two. Oh. And so every time I think about going back to it, I always get kind of hung up on like, which version do I want to play? Knowing that I'll basically be, you know, sacrificing the other version. It's kind of led to a paralysis that's kept me from moving past that kind of first quarter of the game. But uh, I, I, I do intend to finish it. I just need to sit down and and, and get that done because it's a great experience from what I've played so far. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's truly wonderful. And I think, unfortunately, uh, options and selections are often the, the biggest burden a gamer can have, right? So if you were only stuck with one, it's easy. You play that one having two for a title <laughs> that, you know, as I say, it, it has an emotion and an isolation tied to it that you know it has to be approached and played in a very specific manner the manner that it, you know essentially it was intended to whilst it's hard to say to someone that you're playing the game wrong by playing a certain way you know if people want to play horror games in the in an you know with the lights on etc by all means just do it but hellblade does go with a, a craft with its sound for example that really mm. does mean that you really should be playing that with headphones on for the for the full impact but yeah it's all i can say is whichever one you go for just stick with that one because it really is a, it's not an overly long game either. Yeah. It's not a perfect game, but it is an important game. Speaking of not perfect games, perhaps <laughs> <laughs> this is my unexpected pick of the week. Probably. Um, this is the, probably the first time that people have thought about this character in many years, but um, I was, uh, I was, I don't know. I don't want to say surprise necessarily, but um We've only ever featured one other piece of music from the Gex series in Sound of Play, and uh, that was another one of my picks. So I'm bringing back another piece of music from uh, Gex Enter the Gecko or Gex 3D Return of the Gecko. It had a few different names um, as it released on different platforms, Gex 64. Uh, but this piece of music represents the um, kind of hub level uh, it's kind of like the Mario 64 castle equivalent. It's called the media dimension in which you are kind of running in between these giant television portals that act as gateways to different genres of television, which serve as the platforming courses. So cartoons and horror movies and prehistoric documentaries and stuff like that all serve as the backdrops for these platformer levels that you're going to be experiencing throughout the game. And this is the piece of music that kind of ties it all together. Um, I I personally like it. It's um, it has a kind of James Bondy feel to it, which is the kind of characterization that they gave Gex. It, they kind of played him off as like a secret agent in a way, and you can see that reflected in the, a lot of the key art for that game as well. But um, it's it's interesting because like it starts off like you know pretty. Um, pretty tame and pretty expected for a kind of James Bond type riff. But when it kicks into the chorus equivalent, I don't know, I think it keeps a good energy and it's just very infectious. 
kind of an alluring piece of music. I I enjoy it a lot, and it both brings back the good memories, and I think I enjoy it um, for its own merits as a piece of music. <laughs> Carl, do you have any history with Gex at all? Yeah, so I, th- I think when we talk about Gex, we're talking about one of the few... 3D platformers mm-hmm. in the PlayStation era that wasn't atrocious. You know, we did suffer with the likes of Croc and Bubsy, etc. Um, and Gex wasn't awful. Um, it was actually at times I did really quite enjoy it. You know, mm-hmm. obviously in the British version, Gex was uh, voiced by the one true voice of Gex, Leslie Phillips. That's right. We would have um, had two entirely different Gexes throughout our... Y- yes. Yeah. Um, and Leslie Phillips is very traditional and well-known for for you know, people growing up in the UK. And it, it, it really did lend to that character. And I think probably my favourite thing when I think about Gex is the fact that it was directed by Glenn Schofield. And anyone who knows Glenn Schofield knows that he was the executive and creative producer of, and you probably guessed it from Gex, yes, Dead Space. So um, <laughs> it's <laughs> not entirely sure how you make that leap, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's something that I was... I was actually thinking about Gex because I watched a documentary thing on on Glenn Schofield just just last month, um, and Gex was brought up. So yeah, I I did actually quite enjoy Gex Enter the Gecko. Yeah, of course, Gex being voiced by Dana Gould over here, a um, comedian from the kind of alternative comedy scene down in L.A. Uh, at the time, and has kind of remained a player within the comedy space ever since then. I think he, you know, obviously he has a larger career beyond Gex, but I feel like people do still kind of bring up the the Gex voice to him um, fairly frequently. And so it's something that's for the American listeners, you know, we'll, we'll know that voice. And um, I think, you know, it, it's neat that that a character is remembered so differently by um, by different, uh, you know, members of, you know, obviously that would be the case for characters translated in different languages you know i presume that i I don't know if mario has a different voice in japan but presumably a lot of nintendo characters would be known very differently for sounding very differently across america and japan and europe um but um yeah when a character is not translated just going from english to english usually their voice actors don't change but uh this is one of the rare cases in which they did yeah um but uh i think you know gex has become kind of a meme you know for kind of a tacky 90s 3d platformers with the quips and the obviously due to the limited size of the playstation disc and the even more limited size of the n64 cartridge those quips would repeat incessantly and you would hear the same ones over and over again like to a, a diagnostically troubling degree on the n64 especially and i think that kind of propelled gex into that meme status but um you know it's it's not a game that's well remembered by a lot of people i think but i think there's enough of a promise of an interesting idea in there that if a gex were to happen these days like there's so much interesting stuff that could be explored like it really could go in so many interesting directions. You know, if, if Shaq Fu got a modern day reimagining that people tend to like, then there's really no reason that Gex couldn't make that transition as well. Um, I'll be a, I'll be a, a Gex um, defender for a while still, I think. <laughs> Anyways, this is The Media Dimension by Ted Allen from Gex Enter the Gecko.
We'd like to remind everyone to venture over to our forum at canonrinse.com forum where you can request a piece of music from your favorite video games that we'll play in a future show. We have one more piece of music left to listen to. It's a pick from my guest today, uh, uh, Carl Moon from the Canon Rinse Stable. Carl, you are a member of the team, but do you have anything that you wanted to, I guess, call people's attention to in between your you know, visits to Sound of Play every year or so? <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously, Cane and Rinse, as well as the, you know, the, the, the stable of shows that we have there with, you know, the, the fantastic playwright and uh, Sausage Factory um, and, and Sound of Play, uh, all very interesting um, listens that, that I would definitely recommend to everyone out there. And I think from a, from a more personal perspective in line with, you know, a lot of, of the messages that I've gone through today, a lot of these picks have been personal for me for a number of reasons. Um, and I think life at the moment is not easy for a lot of people. And I think it's important that, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they're feeling a little bit isolated or they're really struggling with, you know, being feeling alone or with the worries of the world and COVID, etc. around, that it's important that there are people that you can reach out to out there. Um, you know, we, we have these things set up through the government to actually speak to. Um, and it's important that the, the you realize you are not alone that you, you can go out there and speak whether it's the samaritans whether it's mind a company that i reached out to and, and helped me immeasurably in the past to get over some really dark moments please go and seek out their information it's incredibly important that that, that you realize that you're, you're not going through this alone and you know there will be there will be better days ahead so just please keep mindful of that Terrific. And with that, let's transition into this final piece of music. This is a very prominent composer <laughs> coming in with a really memorable and really powerful piece of music. Yes, this is memorable to me, but for an entirely different reason to every other pick that I've picked <laughs> today. Um, and this is because we seem to be at a point in gaming where the big hits are all established franchises or battle royales or, you know, things like that. And we're the days of original, and I say original, despite the fact that this is a sequel, I, I do realise the irony in that. But this was probably the last great multiplayer game that I played that belonged to a smaller franchise that has since been dwarfed by the, you know, the Call of Duties, Battlefields, etc. It was an absolute gem that I spent months and months and months and months playing to the point that you would play on a night and you'd see the exact same people in the server. And they were from all across Europe. It felt like a really strange personal community, despite the fact I never spoke to any of them by one person who was a good friend of mine anyway. I have nothing but good things to say about this game. It's something we have covered. We have covered Crisis 2 on the on Ken Rince in the past. I, I still think it is a fantastic title. It's the best one of the three for me. There is one piece of music in particular, and it it feels really harsh because the whole album is composed by Boris Slavov, except for the one track that I've picked today, um, which is by, obviously, iconic and legendary movie composer Hans Zimmer. Um, and the track's called Insertion. Now, this plays every time you boot the game up. And without doubt, every time I booted this game for, you know, I mean, we're talking probably every night for six months. I got goosebumps when that when that drawl of the music plays out. For the eagle-eared among us, um, if any of you have seen the Amazing Spider-Man Two, the the second and I believe final Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie, 
this track is actually in that movie as well. And I remember leaving the cinema and everyone was like, oh, you know, let's talk about the movie. And I was like, yeah, but did you notice that bit of music? And, you know, of course they didn't, but, you know, it, it's kind of stuck with me ever since that that bit of music was, was in that movie as well. And it's just... Huh, that's odd. It is really weird that, that it's in there. And it's, you know, it, it's at the moment that you see um, the Green Goblin forming in that movie um, and it plays that music. And it's incredibly ominous and it works just as well in the movie as it does in the game. Um, but it is just that that powerful loop of music that has stuck with me for... But ten years now, because this was a game released in 2011, um, and it's one of a very select few music tracks that I have in my video game music library, along with, say, Icarus from uh, Deus Ex: Human Revolution, that gets continued plays all the time. Um, and I would have picked that track, but it's already been picked. Uh, <laughs> I believe more than maybe even more than once. So this is kind of really important to me for that reason. It, I play it all the time. I have all those incredible memories. And by the way, the single player is also very, very good in Crisis 2, I should just add. But the multiplayer, the map design was incredible. And it's a, a thing I always bleat on about in games, that, that worlds are great, but verticality is what adds to them. And Crisis 2 was all about verticality, so it was a very special title for me. And, and this, this track, obviously being the track that plays every time you boot the game up, it's it's just a, a moment of magic for me in a franchise that sadly doesn't seem to be coming back. This is Insertion by Hans Zimmer um, from Crisis 2, and uh, apparently one of the Spider-Man movies. So <laughs> do with that what you will. We'll catch you again on Sound of Play next week. 